in the second week of a series that's called It's Complicated. And what we are doing is we are exploring specifically relationships, but we're looking more in this series, a little more digging in on our marriage relationships for those of us who are married and just kind of exploring what the scripture has to say about that and how do we build our lives upon a foundation that is firm, not one that is swept away. And so we've been exploring that and I'm so glad you're here. Let me say to our single adults that I don't know where EBC would be without you. Uh, you, you are amazing, and, and even some of you this week, as we talked about the marriage relationship last week, some of you said to me, and I was so grateful that God in his word showed you things that were applicable in your lives, and so thank you for sharing that with me, and I believe that God's word does that, amen? Let me also say this, that as we dig into this, I know uh, that there are some of you who are going through the brokenness of a divorce right now and the pain of that, and you are wounded today. I know that some of you have been through that and have experienced that. I just want you to feel like today, as you're here, I want you to know that this is a place where you can rest in the Lord, where you can be safe in him. I promise you this, that as I stand here before you today, as one who has been married for 30 years, I can tell you this, and my wife Hope would say this as well, it is purely by God's grace that we are still married. There were some really difficult seasons that we went through in our life. God, by his grace, by his help, he helped us in that. And so I just want you to know that I don't stand as one who's got this all figured out. We're still working on things. I knew this was going to happen. We even had a conflict this week, okay? Every time I preach on marriage, it happens. God was testing me, uh, but we had to work through things that we learned, right? And so I just want you to know that, okay? I don't, we don't stand in judgment of whatever your situation is or what it was. I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, and we're going to ask God to speak to all of us. Can we do that right now? Will you join me in prayer? I want to ask those of you online to join me in prayer as well. Let's pray together as we dig into God's Word in the next few moments. Father, we confess to you our great need of you, Lord. We acknowledge that every one of us here has brokenness in our lives. Lord, none of us has it all together. We're all struggling in one way or another. I thank you for the story of Matt and Connie and Lord, how in the, the times of their, the storms that they have faced, Lord, they, they sought to build their lives upon you, the foundation. So today, Lord, that's what all of us want to do. We ask you to correct us in areas where we are wrong. Would you, would you show us where we need to apologize if that is necessary? Father, would you give those encouragement who maybe need that from you today? Lord, would you give comfort to those who are, who are working through a broken relationship right now? Lord, would you teach us from your word what your kind of love looks like? Our children need to see that. Our world needs to see that. So we're relying upon you through your power and through your son to do that in each and every one of us today. We welcome you in this place, Lord Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. So for those of you who are married, let me ask you a question. How many of you married someone that is very much opposite of you? Would you raise your hand? You married there, there, like couldn't be more different. And that is so much what hope and I are like. You've probably heard it said before that opposites, uh, right, in the dating stages attract. They like attract. But here is what we also know, whenever you get married, those things that were so attractive that were opposite can very quickly turn into the things when you're married that annoy you the most, right? Opposites attract and then you get married and the opposites attack. That's what happens for many, okay, is those things that you were intrigued by end up becoming the things that become some of the biggest struggles that you face in your life. 
and uh, like hoping I couldn't be more different. Hope is very much a creature of habit. She loves her routine. She is incredibly self-disciplined in so many different ways. It makes me jealous and it annoys me at times. I'm just saying, all right? She's more reserved. She's much quieter than I am. We're actually both introverts, but, but in kind of even a different way. Here's the big one. Whenever it comes to assembling things and putting things together, she reads the instructions, right? That kind of makes me sick, but she does. She's a rule follower. She loves to follow the rules. She's a teacher, so she's very precise about following procedures. And, and here's the thing, when she plays games, she's just there to hang out. She doesn't care about winning. How many of you, that's kind of like you? Would you raise your hands if that's you? I just wanna say something, you people, a you people today, all right? And then there's me. We couldn't be more different. I can be uh, quite impulsive and struggle with some discipline areas. And I thrive on change and taking risks. That was part of being a church planner. It's like, let's go, we can do this. I get bored with routine a lot of times. So sometimes I just mix it up just to mix it up a little bit, which can drive my wife crazy. Instructions for assembly, please. Which is why there are extra parts always at the end that I don't know, and she shakes her head. Rules, rules, suggestions. Come on, right? Those things are really fluid, and when I play a sport, or when I am playing a game, I am playing for one reason, and that is to, come on, help me out, my people right here. You're in, you're in it to win it. But I remember early on when we were dating just how fascinated I was with just how different she was in so many different ways. And it was so intriguing to me. And of course, I'm still intrigued with her. And I am still attracted to her greatly. But I just, I just understand, right? It didn't hurt that she was fine. I'm just saying that as well, which is why Hope sits in the back in the third service because she knows I'm gonna embarrass her at certain points. But I remember early on, just as, as I was just like, this lady, this woman is so different from me. And it's so intriguing, but after we were married, we definitely had some serious struggles with those areas where we, we just were, were different in the way that we thought about things, the way that we thought about handling money, the way that we dealt with conflict was very different, okay? And it was different in her home as it was in my home. You're bringing into that relationship different backgrounds and all, I mean, it was so different as we were together and it ended up becoming just some of our biggest, uh, not strengths, some of our biggest weaknesses. Uh, she's more passive aggressive in things and wouldn't say how she felt. I'm more of a spewer and I don't have a poker face. She has a poker face, okay? Sometimes I can't tell, right? She doesn't have a Monopoly face, but she has a poker face because in Monopoly, I win. And, um, but I don't win, if you know what I mean, all right? So that's kind of how it goes. But here is what I want you to know, where you start off with this idea, of, and I'm in, I love romance too, but you start off with the idea of romance of, oh, you complete me, but those things that are opposite, then you're saying, you deplete me, okay? You deplete me completely here. All right, so in every marriage, there are two broken people. Your marriage is comprised of two broken people that are coming together, bringing all of these different things into this union. In 2007, there was a bridge, an I-35 bridge up in Minneapolis 
that in the middle of rush hour, when all of these cars around 6 p.m. were on, on that bridge, there was construction that was happening on that bridge, all of a sudden, the weight on the bridge was too much, and the bridge collapsed. 111 cars plummeted into the Mississippi River. 145 people were injured, and tragically, 13 people died in that. And when they went back and looked, what happened? I mean, they were working on it, but what they were doing is they were, they were repaving the top. They weren't working on the structural things. What they determined was that there were stress fractures that were in that bridge that when the weight finally was too much, because there was construction equipment, there were 18, when there were all of these, when those things were on that, those things finally exposed the weaknesses in that bridge, and it was tragic, and it was too little, and it was too late. And many times what I want you to know is that marriage, although it brings so much joy into our lives in so many different ways, please don't take this wrong or negative, but marriage, what it will do is like the 18-wheeler that will roll over the bridge of your life. And where there are already stress fractures in, in, within you as an individual and stress fractures within that relationship, marriage is like that which will expose those weaknesses and those flaws. It will, it, it will begin to expose these things that are already there, right? And, and again, 18-wheelers bring lots of good things, but they, but they also, there's a weight that is to them whenever they roll over this. So if you're a single person here today, and I love our, our young singles, and maybe you're hoping to get married, I want you to understand, as we said last week, that there's not any one person out there that can complete you. Only Jesus does that. You need to know that and cling to that. You also need to understand this, that there are some who idealize this in the sense of thinking that marriage is going to fix you or fix your problems. You need to hear this. Marriage doesn't fix your brokenness. In fact, it exposes your pre-existing character flaws. Marriage will magnify those things as you get into this relationship because, again, we, bring, we all bring stress fractures. We all bring brokenness, baggage, things into these relationships. And, and sometimes it will surprise you that your, your wife will see or your husband will see these things before you have ever seen what those stress fractures are. I didn't understand this. I didn't understand that I had a real serious problem with pride. I didn't know that. Now my parents, they're in here, they, they knew that, they probably knew that. But I had, a, I, I had a problem with pride. I still struggle with this, okay, that God's still working on me in this, this area. That I didn't really know that until Hope and I were married and then we had made a commitment to being together, living together the rest of our lives till death do us part. And we would get in arguments and they would become these circular arguments that we, would ne I, we could never figure out how do you get out of that? How do you end that? How does it come to an end? And, and so we would struggle with this and I realized the biggest, and I shared this last week, the biggest problem that I brought into our marriage was not hope, stress, fractures, it was me. It was my brokenness. But marriage will magnify those things. It's not that I hadn't argued with other people. My parents could tell you that we argued from time to time. It's not that I didn't get into arguments with roommates that perhaps I had, but I hadn't made a promise to them the way I'd made a promise to my wife, Hope. And we were gonna have to either call it off or figure it out. Somebody has to grow, right? And so this is what marriage will do. It will expose these things. 
So if you are here today and you are relying upon your marriage relationship to be held together uh, strictly by the attraction that you had initially while you were dating um, and, and the maybe infatuation, the intrigue, the love, no doubt love, okay? Don't misunderstand me, but again, I didn't fully understand love as we were 21 when we got married. We were very young, had no idea the depth of what real love really looked like. So here is the thing that I'm saying to you today. If that is what you are clinging to, there are stress fractures in the bridge that need to be addressed. And there had better be something that is more, that is, that is bigger, that is holding your marriage together than just the initial feelings that you had early on. Anybody who's been married for a certain amount of time can tell you that feelings will go up and they will go down. And they will also go back up. But feelings, our feelings are not reliable. It's not a reliable kind of uh, barometer for our relationships. There has to be a different kind of love that your marriage relationship is based upon. That foundational love, God's love, his word, Jesus Christ that we've been talking about. What I want us to understand is that every marriage that is represented here today throughout all of the services, every marriage is a small story that is going on in the scope of a larger story. And you're gonna understand that more in just a second. It's a smaller story that is happening while there is a bigger story that is going on that is surrounding your marriage relationship. The small story is what you and I as humans, what we descend into every single day in the struggles, in the conflicts, in the things that Matt and Connie was talking about. What I would just say is this, the pressure cooker of life, right? I mean. Some of you have experienced a lot of the same kinds of things that Matt and Connie were talking about. Life gets hard. People lose jobs. Relationships get broken. All kinds, people get sick, right? The pressure cooker of life when there are struggles and conflicts and disagreements, hardships, all of these things. So here is what I wanna ask you today. What, what is the bigger story that is happening if you are a follower of Jesus Christ? What is the bigger story? What is the bigger thing that, that I want all of us to be aware of in this relationship? Why does your marriage really matter? Think about that. Why, why is, if, you don't, if you're having problems, why don't you just call it off, right? And some people do. Why is your marriage, according to God, holy, sacred? Holy means set apart, which means it's supposed to be different than the, the way the world enters into a marriage or those that don't yet know Christ. Why is your marriage different, Christian, if you are a believer? Why is that the case, okay? And, and what is your marriage, this is another question, communicating to others? Now, I'll, I'll dig in on this in a second. If you have your Bibles, look with me in John chapter 13. We're going to spend a moment in this. And, uh, and then we're going to discuss a difference between a contract and a covenant here in just a minute, okay? 
Now, on the night, let me give you context of this passage. This was on the night that Jesus was going to have the final supper, the last supper with his disciples. They were celebrating what meal? It was the Passover, which was a celebration of God's pursuing, protecting, uh, just incredible kind of love that he had for the nation of Israel, the Jews, right? That was a covenant relationship that God had entered into with them. He promised them that, that he would love them, right, forever, and, and that he would raise up through one man, through one family, that he would raise up a redeemer for all of us. That was a covenant. Jesus on that night is going to inaugurate a new covenant. He's going to, he's going to actually inaugurate a new covenant, a new promise. We'll discuss covenant in a second. But he's going to, and, and, and you should know that covenants are often ratified by the shedding of blood, and Jesus would be shedding his blood within hours, right, as he began to be beaten. And, and on that night, there was a smaller story that was going on in that upper room. There was a smaller story, and the smaller story was those disciples were doing what? They were fighting with one another. They were prideful. They were, they were upset. They were jockeying for position. Nobody wanted to be humble. I want to ask you a question. If you know what was going on in that culture, you know that whenever you came into a place like that to have a meal like that, that typically there would be a servant that would be there who would wash their feet because they would be walking in the dust and in the, uh, you know, the manure from the animals and all that. And they would have a meal where they would be down and feet would be very close to the table. Okay, so somebody needs to wash feet. I want to ask you a question. If you know anything about Jesus, you know that he knows all things because he's God. Do you think Jesus missed a detail and, 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 and didn't have somebody that was there to wash feet? Or do you think Jesus specifically had something intentional he was about to teach his disciples? What do you think? He was going to show them something. They're, they're having a standoff. You ever had a standoff with your spouse? A pride standoff? Did you have one this morning on the way to church? Don't raise your hands. Hoping I don't ride together to church anymore. Just saying. Okay. Um, have you ever had a standoff? They're looking at each other and nobody would blink. It's like, I'm not, I'm not bound. I'm in it to win it. And then Jesus does something. He takes off his outer cloak there. And he takes on the posture of a servant. We're talking about the God of the universe. And I imagine at that moment, they're thinking, I ain't washing feet. I'm not washing feet. I'm not doing that. You know, that guy should do that. Can you imagine how quiet it got? I imagine they were most likely, I envision it this way in that room. Put yourself in that room. I imagine there may have even been tears when they understood the depth of what he was lowering himself to do, can you hear the water pouring into the basin? I can hear it. And then he starts to wash their feet and where they'd been arguing, now they are looking and it's scandalous what he's doing. It's scandalous love. It's God-like love. And when he finishes and, and they have their meal together and he's doing some teaching to them, then he's going to say this to them. In chapter 13, the, at the beginning of the chapter, he even says, it says this. John says that Jesus would begin to show the fullness of his love towards his disciples. 
the extent of his love. And then Jesus is going to say this. Look at what he says, okay? He says, so now I am giving you, everybody say it with me, a new commandment. And what is it to do? Love each other. Wait a minute, how's that new? Well, love and each other at this point had been love each other as you love yourself. And Jesus is saying, that's the old way. Here's the new way. Love each other. Say it with me, church. Just as I have loved you. That's the new way. That's the new way. You see, he gave them the how, and now he's going to give them the why. you got to understand the why before you'll ever be able to get to doing the how properly. And this is the why. Love each other this way. For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my followers. That you're different than the rest of the world in how you deal with one another. You're different as you're in the community. You're different in your marriages. You're different in the way that you parent. You're set apart. You're holy. You're different. And this is what it will show. Here's your big idea for today. If you are a believer here today, you need to understand something. Your marriage and mine is an opportunity to show the world what God's grace and his pursuing love really looks like. Do you see the small picture and the big picture? Your marriage is the smaller picture that is, in, that is, that is enveloped by the bigger picture of God's grace in both of your lives if you're both believers here, right? When two very people are, are, are coming together as one uh, and, and they are choosing to die to self on a daily basis, which is not a natural thing for us to want to do, it's contrary to the way that our world says where, what does our world say? It's all about you. It's all about your happiness. It's all about your rights. It's all about this in a very Western way of thinking in this. And, and, and it, it seems to apply to many of our marriages. And, and so here is how it's different, where Jesus would have been the very last one who should have been washing feet. He was the very first one to do it. He flipped the paradigm. He turned it over. So here's a question that I want you, if you're a believer here today, I want you to begin to process how you view your marriage. Is your marriage a contract or is your marriage a covenant? Now, you need to know the, the differences to be able to answer that, so let me begin to help you with that a little bit. Is it a, mar is it a marriage that is a contract? Well, contracts are not always necessarily, they're not bad things in and of themselves. We, we, in fact, probably couldn't exist very well in the business culture without contracts. Contracts, though, are designed really to manage our distrust or our mistrust of others. Um, they're designed around self-protection, and again, they're designed to be sure that something that I believe that I should get, that that should happen. Or that I have an expectation or a need, I want to be certain that that is going to happen, right? I mean, contracts are, you can write some of this down, are based on mutual distrust. And, and you can think of it like this. As, as, as I am in as far as you are in. We hear 50-50 all of the time, and that makes sense in our way of thinking about math. But I'm in as far as you are in. But if you do me wrong, I'm out. That's a contract. If you do me wrong, I'm out. There's, there's my loophole. 
Everything in our society revolves around contractual agreement. You can't lease an apartment without entering into a contract. You can't buy a house without, if you're going to have a lending institution, here's what I've discovered, man. You would think a handshake would do it. Doesn't work like that, does it? No, if you're closing, they say block out some time. Why? Because there is a book of papers where they have figured out everything to make you sign as lawyers have gotten involved in this. And what is it to do? It is to protect the lending institution. Now, there's some things that you benefit from in that as well. But do you know what I'm saying? It's like, and it's sign your life away right here, okay? But the moment that you fail me, that house is ours. That's kind of the way. So here's the language of, of contract. I will if you fill in the rest of the blank. I will if. All right, so here's some things to write down about this. Contracts are conditional. Contracts are often for a limited period of time. Think about in the sports world. They signed a contract for a gazillion dollars for four years, right? And then we start doing the math and we're blown away. It's, a, uh, it's enormous. But typically, it's like for a certain period of time. Contracts use if-then language, conditional, right? If-then. Contracts are motivated by the desire to get something, not to give. Nobody's like, hey, get into this contract with me so I can be sure I give you lots. That's not how it works. It's to be sure that I'm getting what I've got coming to me, okay? Contracts are based, and this is really big that you catch this, they are based upon performance, they're based upon performance. Sometimes your job, you may have had to sign a contract that is, and again, they're not all wrong, uh, all right? They're necessary, but what I'm wanting you to see is that is not how God has designed your marriage to be set up, even though the world will tell you that it is supposed to be like that. And it makes sense in our flesh that that's how it's supposed to be. But spiritually speaking, that is not what God designed it to be. What does your marriage look like? You probably, when you got married, if you're married and you got married in a Christian, you know, ceremony, you probably were not thinking, I'm going to enter into a contract with this person. You probably weren't thinking that way. Some of you might have been. But, but you probably practically, is the way you live out now, Practically, you may have started with a covenant mindset, but it has devolved into contractual, which is this, which is here's what we start doing because we struggle as human beings. We start, if you're a contract kind of thinking person, you start keeping a mental scorecard. Even though scripture says that godly kind of love keeps no record of wrongs, you're keeping it up right here. I remember I did the dishes two times this week. When are you ever going to do it? Right? Now you can do that with your kids all you want, right? Okay? Make them do it all. All right? Um, I'm going to get hate mail from kids this week, email. But, but here's what I'm saying. I will be sensitive to my wife's emotional needs as long as she meets my physical needs. That's, that's a contract way of thinking. I will do X if you do X. Whatever that is. Most of us don't start off like that, but it quickly goes to that. We start, we start using acts of service as bargaining chips. Some of us are acts of service, like maybe we did wash feet, but we view washing feet, metaphorically speaking, as a down payment for something later. Or it could be a repayment for something. And that's contractual thinking. It's different than God's way of thinking about this. God has designed our marriages to be different than that. Our marriage is not supposed to be a contract. Our marriage is to be 
based upon that foundation, the kind of love that Jesus showed and that God has been showing from the very beginning, from when Adam and Eve first blew it. He didn't say, you blew it, I'm done, I'm out, I'm walking. Did he? No, there was definitely consequences that happened in that, but there was a process and a covenant that was inaugurated where he said, by the way, that's what the whole story of this is about. Covenantal love looks like this. A perfect God pursues and moves towards imperfect people. That's what God's kind of love does, and that's what it looks like, right? Covenant is different. Just really quickly, covenants are based upon mutual commitment, not mutual distrust. Mutual commitment, where you're saying, um, I, I'm in, right? I'm in. There, there's not a, an escape hatch here. Let me, let me just say this really quickly. I know that there are situations. I'm, I'm giving you a big ideal here, and this big ideal exists in a broken world, and so I know there are scenarios that I couldn't possibly know what some of you are dealing with. There's some of you who are going through some abuse, and, and, and please know, I, I don't expect you to stay in that and to be harmed in that abuse. That's not what I'm saying, okay? So, and God, by the way, also addresses issues of infidelity, okay? And what I'm saying is I'm not speaking about those areas right there, okay? What I'm speaking about is the rest of us. The rest of us who many times you'll see marriages that will disintegrate and fall apart and, and it will oftentimes get guised as, and we hear it all the time, irreconcilable differences. Right? And, it, and it's just we're not compatible. We don't, you know, we're, we're opposite. We don't have the same things in common. That's what I'm talking about. The rest of us, the rest of us need to take a look. Am I living contractually or with a covenant? They're, they're on mutual commitment. Now, I know we're talking about marriage, but here's what I want to begin to shift in you right now, all of you, those of you online. As we talk about this marriage relationship between a husband and wife, what Paul would say is the mystery of it is it's also the way, and it's based upon the way that Jesus feels about you, church. And when I say church, don't think corporately. I'm talking about you as the individual who makes up the church. So think about the way Jesus feels about you, the way Jesus has committed to you. That's what we're talking about. Covenants can be maintained by one person. Covenants are made for the benefit of the other person, right? Where contracts are more about, I've got to really protect myself here. Covenants are bound by unconditional promises. Covenants are based upon unconditional love. That's called agape love that is described in the way that God loves. Covenants are viewed as permanent, like the covenant that God made with Israel. How many times did Israel blow it? A lot. Who are they a great picture of? All of us. And yet God, if you will see, continued to pursue them and love them. Now there were consequences to their sins, but he never said, I'm done with he stayed because he promised. Covenants require, if you are going to stay, and if you are going to live by covenant, covenants require confrontation. And God would not gloss over things where they cross boundaries. God would call it out, wouldn't he? 
And he would say, this is not right. This is inappropriate. This isn't good. You've, you've abandoned your love here for me or whatever. But here's what they're about. They're also about forgiveness. Pastor Randy's going to teach in a couple weeks. You need to be here for this. He's going to talk about how to, how to do confrontation in a good way, in a biblical way. It's not going to be easy, but, but you need to be here for that. Okay, um, Covenants where contracts are based upon works, covenants are based upon grace. That's the foundation is grace. You may break this, but I'm not going to break my covenant vows before God and to you. In other words, I'm all in, every bit of me, 100%. There's no back door here. What covenants do, as hard as they can be, was the, is here's what they also do, and, the, and, and this is what happened for Hope and I, and it still happens when conflict emerges and there's difficulty. Covenants give you room to breathe in knowing that in the difficulty, I know hope is not going to bail on me. I know that. Because that woman lives by her promises. I've watched it through 30 years that when things get hard, right, it gives us room to breathe and it gives us opportunity to work on the stuff we need to work on instead of just going, I'm done. It's like, no, I'm not done. I've, God, show me, help me. Maybe we need counseling. Do you see what I'm saying? But you're in in this, in this covenant. Covenant is so opposite of contract. It's saying, I'm not going anywhere. Think of the things that you say in traditional vows. Remember, we're talking about husband and wife relationship, but who are we also talking about? You and God. For better or worse, you think that's something God says to you? I will never leave you or forsake you. He said that to you, didn't he? I will never you think when God says that, he means that? See how, for better or worse, it may be good, we're going to go through, we're going to be passionately in love many times. There's also going to be seasons where we're not even in like. Forget love. Right? But I know we're in this and we'll work on that. For richer, for poor. We may, we may do great financially, but there are going to be seasons, and some of you experience this, you're going through it, where we lose everything, and we lose a job, and as hard as that may be right now, here's what I know, you're not going anywhere. We're going to work on this together. How about this one? In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. I, I pray that every one of us, right, and I pray this over all the couples I do weddings for, I pray that they get an opportunity to live a long life together, but I know that that doesn't always happen because this world is broken, and here is what I know. Everyone in this place is going to get sick unless something else tragic happens. Is going to get sick at some point in sickness and in health. I hope that it's health most of the time, but I'm promising you this. It's what you're saying before God. Even if on our honeymoon we have an accident and then you're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life, I'm not bailing, I'm with you because I made a promise, that's a covenant. Or 30, 40, 50 years down the road, inevitably when this body breaks down and you can't contribute anything to the relationship, you can't bring anything to it anymore for whatever reason, you can know this, I'm not going anywhere. Isn't that how God is 
with us. Do you see the smaller picture and the bigger picture? That's what your marriage and my marriage is supposed to reflect is God's kind of love. That's what your marriage is teaching your kids. What are your kids seeing? Are they seeing contractual love? Are you teaching them how to have a contract? Are you teaching them what covenantal God-like love looks like? And we all are blowing it many times, all of us, right? And God is gracious in this. Jesus said, or excuse me, Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. And he was talking about the mystery of the church. What does that kind of love look like? I want you, I want you to watch this video, okay? I don't count it a burden, whatever, to have to care for her. I, I need to do everything. From the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed, I do absolutely everything. Um, clean her teeth, uh, shower, dress, everything. And, um, but it's, it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year when we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. We grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with, my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me, but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up, and she had an A-line dress on and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> when we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was and that was about five kilometers on a Saturday afternoon because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo. And I can still smell it, because that smell was so particular, so nice. It was just absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike, and then Glad had a bike as well, and we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike, and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives, and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that one. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally. And I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can, and I can return her love. And it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. 
she's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, no, no. no not at all. We love each other. That video wrecks me every time I watch that. Did you see the tiara? Oh, that kills me. But did you hear what he said? God has loved me, and he has put this kind of love in my heart. Because I want to tell you, I can't love like that. How do we love like that? It's got to be a God love that he places within us through the Holy Spirit. Did you see the smaller story and the bigger story? Because when I watched that man care for his wife, and I know she cared for him in many ways too, but I see, I see Jesus. I see the way God is with us. Do you see that? That kind of love, that unconditional love, when we could bring nothing to the table to make him love us more. Romans says this, Paul wrote, when we were utterly helpless, helpless. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners and then skipped to verse 8. But in spite of that, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to wash our feet and die for us, right? Wash our feet, lowering himself, dying to himself because we deserved it. No, we were sinners. It's a pursuing covenantal kind of love that God calls us in our Christian marriages to exemplify. That's what your marriage is supposed to do. That's the mission of your marriage. The mission of your marriage, yes, enjoy the small story. Enjoy that story. God gave that to you as a gift. But know that there is a bigger picture that God had in mind. It's for you growing in him, but it's also for you reflecting his glory to people who don't understand what God's love. By the way, that story, 60 Minutes picked up that story. What did he say? By the way you love each other, the world will know you are my disciples. And he got to tell people about Jesus. So how do we, how do we make this practical today? I want you to think each of us, whether you're married or not, but I want you to think of one way that God would lead you this week to love somebody and to metaphorically wash their feet with no expectation of anything in return. If you're married, I want you to think about that. How can you meet the most basic loving need of your spouse this week in covenantal love? How can, what is God gonna lead you to do? Even if it's just one thing, maybe you've been living in contract. Maybe you'd ask God to begin to teach you more about how to change that, how to grow in that. Maybe this has stirred up problems in your relationship. I want you to know we love you. We're with you. We're not just trying to stir it up and then leave you. We want to walk with you if you have struggles with this and you're struggling in your marriage relationship. So can we pray together? And can we trust in Jesus? Some of you have never put your faith in Jesus. And maybe today, through a marriage talk, you're understanding how God feels about you. And you would call upon him to save you. Christ died even while we were yet sinners. And for all who will call upon him, he gives us the gift of eternal life. Maybe you'd ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today.
by putting your faith in him. Father, we commit our lives to you as individuals, married or single. We want to we be like you, Jesus. For those couples who are married here today, I pray, Lord, that our marriages would reflect what your love looks like to our children, to our community, that the world would begin to take note that our marriage would point somebody to Jesus. But Lord, we can't do that without the hope that we have in Christ. So today, Lord, we we think about you as our living hope, the one who makes it possible. In Jesus' name.